0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Grand, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here, Kwame. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure. Uh, I, I will. So I've been the provost and vice president for academic affairs at Menlo College, a liberal arts college in Atherton, California. And uh, it has primarily business majors and psychology. It's a great place. I've been, I've been there for the last uh, two plus years. Uh, and you know we are certainly dealing with all the pandemic issues and uh, going online. And that, that's been uh, a big part of what we've been doing there. Uh, prior to that, I was, uh, with your alma mater, the Ohio State University Moritz College of Law, and worked on the project called the Divided Community Project. And, and that was really focused on dealing with the polarization uh, that's been going on in the country. As we know, there's an election that's divided the country. We've had the, the race issue that, that has divided the country. And it was a real privilege, honestly, uh, to work with folks that you know uh, uh, from Ohio State, like, uh, like Nancy um, and Josh Stolberg uh, as, as well there. So uh, prior to that, I was at the Department of Justice in the Obama administration. I was confirmed by the Senate to run an agency called the Community Relations Service. Uh, And I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that in, in a bit. It was started in 1964 but its job was to have mediators uh, in race conflicts throughout the country. And it's, and it's been there in 55 plus years, all the way back to Selma and certainly in my time dealing with uh, Michael Brown, the, uh, the tragedy there uh, with Trayvon Martin in Sanford, uh, with Freddie Gray in, in Baltimore. And of course, in, in the last few months, we have seen uh, the, the the police um, issues that have, have happened and the tragedies have happened with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. I'll, I'll stop there. I can, I can keep going on. But that, I think, gives you a sense of, of that. Uh, I, was a, I was a law professor at the UC Hastings College of Law. I've been involved in negotiation and mediation for for most of my career.
0: Yeah, this is great. And of course, you need to let the listeners know about the new book coming out too.
1: Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, the title of the book is America's Peacemakers, uh, the Community Relations Service and Civil Rights. And it is about uh, the Community Relations Service, about its wonderful mediators who have been involved in disputes uh, from Selma to the Boston Public Schools, to Rodney King, to the Alien Gonzalez case, uh, and, and the work when I was... Um, director with, with Michael Brown and, and, and what happened afterwards with the, uh, the shooting at the Sick in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Uh, and it's, it really I really want to shine a light on these incredible mediators who, who work in confidentiality uh, without publicity, but have really helped this country uh, in really challenging times.
0: Definitely, and this is great, and and thank you for writing the book, and thank you for your service to the country, and in what you're doing, it's it's incredibly important. And then I think for this presentation, well, this podcast, I think the the two things that I want to focus on today are first how mediation has helped over the course of American history, um, again, in ways that we probably haven't even recognized. And then also for people who want to be involved in community uh, mediation or see opportunities for racial reconciliation or community building through mediation, um, let's talk about some best practices there. So when it comes to mediation in history, where should we even start?
1: <laughs> yeah, that, uh, so I'll start w- uh, with this uh, ha- the community relations service it was really pushed by president Lyndon Baines Johnson. If it weren't for him it wouldn't have existed. And if we may remember the I'll just start what led to the creation was the Birmingham boycott in 1963. We remember the photos of Bull Connor and of the you know the the the, the dogs and with the young African Americans there. You know, what we don't quite always remember about that, it was really a boycott about a black business um, boycott, basically saying, we're not going to serve uh, segregated businesses unless you, unless you desegregate uh, Birmingham. And the S- civil rights uh, assistant attorney general at that point, Burke Marshall, spent a lot of time mediating. Uh, between uh, the civil rights protesters in that situation and uh, the the mayor uh, uh, at that time. Uh, And so going forward, when we were thinking about the 1964 Civil Rights Act, there was a concern of all this desegregation happening and how that it would take too many lawyers to go out there and too many, and they wanted mediators to be helpful. Um, Burke Marshall said, oh, it's this is too hard, I can't be, I'm a civil rights attorney, I need other people to go out and mediate because this is too hard, <laughs> it takes up too much time. So that's how it gets created. So that's the, it starts from successful mediation, but the recognition of how hard it was uh, to, to do this. Uh, I'll start with just one situation in Selma. We, we remember when John Lewis, the, the former congressman who, who, passed, who passed away recently, the great John Lewis, Uh, and Bloody Sunday, uh, where a a numerous amount of protesters, civil rights protesters, Blacks were beaten up by the Alabama state troopers. LBJ was concerned that there was going to be more violence, sent this agency, the Community Relations Service, uh, out there. And the first director of that agency was a man named Leroy Collins, a white governor from Florida, a former governor from Florida. And he worked hard, especially with uh, Andrew Young, who later became a, a congressman and a mayor and a United Nations ambassador to work with them. If, if What we often remember is the movie in Selma, if so, and certainly for those who, who know the history where Martin Luther King leads his congregation and leads the, 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 the people across the Pettus Bridge in Selma. Um, and at that point, there's a fear of facing the Alabama state troopers Leroy Collins and other mediators worked out a resolution to, to keep it safe, and, and that was part of the story uh, that then it helps keep, keep them safe, but it also then helps move it toward, that was a voting rights situation to the, to the important legislation of the 1965 uh, voting uh, rights legislation that, that, that then gets passed because of the, the protests uh, that happened in Selma over over voting rights, and of course, voting rights are still a huge issue today uh, for for blacks and, and for, for many other people as we face it uh, in, in the election in six, in six days uh, so that 's another example um, I could so then from there, there, there are many situations where the C- CRS has gone to wounded knee uh, when the American Indian movement took over uh, there to the Alien Gonzalez case. Ultimately, that was a situation where he was taken from his Florida family. But what really helped was there was a serious attempt by CRS mediators, including a man named Thomas Battles, uh, who works also with the Divide Community Project today to to reduce the possibility of violence. There was a lot of tension in Florida at that time. um, And and there was a really valiant effort uh, in that situation. Uh, Fast forward. To uh, to to uh, when I was director in Sanford, Florida, after uh, after Trayvon Martin was killed, as as we remember, as he was going home after going uh, to from Seven Eleven, and was accosted by a wannabe neighborhood watch guy named George Zimmerman, um, and and there were protests uh, in, in Sanford. Community relations Service made a huge difference in in helping the protesters protest safely, and and making their protests against the stand your ground law which was which was a big deal in that situation and working with the protest groups working with Al Sharpton and the National Action Network working with Jesse Jackson and working with the the mayor the city manager to keep it safe working with black and white pastors to to reduce rumors and to help them help them heal uh, as, as well Uh, And to this day, the the mayor and many others credit uh, the CRS with keeping the protests safe, allowing them to express their First Amendment free speech right. Uh, But it was a situation where there were many, I think, over 80 protests, but not a single bottle was thrown and uh, not a single arrest was made, partly because different from some of the other situations, uh, the, the protesters worked well. Uh, you know, they worked, I I should say more, they worked with, uh, with the city to allow peaceful protests uh, to, to to happen. So that's a lot Kwame. um, But that gives you just a a sense of the breadth and the scope over time. It's, it is, I think we forget. And what's important to know is that mediators can, can help the, what social justice is about to, to, that there is a moral arc and that it does bend toward justice. And the, it, the purpose of here in the media years is created by the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It's to accomplish those goals. It's to help move it in, in, in a way uh, that, that,
0: we, that we believe is right for our country. Does your company invest in professional development training?
1: CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today.
0: This is great. And, and again, for, even for me, somebody who is a, a practitioner, somebody who graduated from, from Ohio State's law school and everything, um, I was completely unaware of the, the storied history of mediation in um, maintaining peace and community. So this is fascinating for me too. And I think what we could do at this point is is blend the history with just the skill set in terms of what we need to do in order to be effective at this point. And for me as a mediator, one of the things that's interesting is that um, when it comes to mediation, we have to have parties who are interested in the process. We have to have parties who are bought in and they're going to go into this process and give it a good faith effort. And um, at times, the only thing bringing people to the table in, in the mediations that I did were was the fact that. Uh, they were compelled by the court, they had no choice, <laughs> and so they had to show up. And what's interesting here is that in these really tense situations, you're still able to get people to the table and engage in this process. So for you, what are the things that actually incentivize people to, to come to the table?
1: That's a terrific question for me. Uh, I think it has to do with the fact that there is some need to resolve a situation, right? Uh, you, and ideally uh, you can figure a way to do it early on. And as, as you know, it doesn't always work that way. And court mandated uh, mediations because things have gotten so bad uh, that they are, they're forced uh, to come to the table. Uh, you know, Nancy Rogers and Josh Wilberg at the Ohio State University, I think are good examples of how to help people think before things get bad to help people understand what are we trying to achieve here, right? Uh, in, a, in, a, in a community conflict, People want change, right? Maybe it's change to a use of force policy. Maybe it's a change in how do we have more uh, 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 sort of accountability, uh, citizen review boards uh, in, in these situations. And it's doing so because people care about that, their their local community. I think that matters because it's about it's about we want what's best. We want this community to move forward in difficult situations. Uh, it was true in in. Birmingham. There was so much pressure being put on the white businesses. They weren't getting, they were being boycotted by black customers. It got to the point where they, ha- there was a need to come to the table here. And it's trying to identify that need and trying to see what the common,
0: sometimes the common goal is in these Yeah. Countries. That makes sense. And one of the things that's interesting too is that when we think about the civil rights movement of the past, it it seemed as though there was more clear leadership. You could look back and it seemed as though there were people who were were rallying people together consistently and we could say, hey, you're the leader. Let's bring you to the table. Let's discuss. Today, it seems as though these, um, these movements in various communities are very flat in that it might be difficult to determine who in particular as the leader. So for you in your position, how do you determine getting the right representatives to the table?
1: That uh, is especially true in community conflict, right? Because it may change over time too, who's actually uh, at the table, who wants to be at the table. Uh, There's a lot of churn uh, in in these situations. I I think it's about the local aspect of this, right? if it's a concern about what's going on in a specific city let's say it's a police department there are people who've been in that community for a long time right uh, uh, and who who care and who have shown uh, that they are engaged in making a difference in reducing the amount of of tragedies that happen of of preventing horrible outcomes of, of a police officer uh, shooting uh, someone who's often black or brown uh, in those situations. So I think what goes to that is who, who's been working on the issue, who has been uh, trying to, to make a difference, bringing people who, who yes, who, who, who are knowledgeable about the issue and who can, are willing to put in the time and commitment because it doesn't change overnight. There are so many variables and so many factors Uh, and and, and unfortunately there are some systemic issues right we know this um, that that has to be to be worked through uh, in order to get there so it is about finding the people who who are committed to the issue who have who have history in working on the issue and who are committed to 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 figuring out solutions uh, within that community
0: yeah that makes sense and again we understand this whole thing is is challenging so this might this question might be a little bit too broad, but we'll see where it goes. Um, what are the biggest challenges you faced in trying to go through these processes? Yeah, you, you know, I, I talked
1: a bit about the the high profile situations, right? Sometimes if it's too high profile and there's too much enmity or too much emotion, that makes it hard, right? That, because there's two, there, the walls have gone up. Uh, I didn't mention the situations where people are able to sit down and figure things out. That, that makes it a bit easier, right? When, there's, when it's away from the spotlight and when people who care about the issue uh, can, can, can work with each other. I certainly remember a, a situation, a similar situation where there was mistreatment, uh, of, of, of a suspect uh, in a situation. Uh, there was a, a, a black civil rights organization involved, but because they were able to, to do so away from the media, they were able to create a situation where more accountability uh, was agreed upon, where there was more transparency provided as to what gets reported to the community as to when citizens can, can be more engaged here. Uh, So uh, I think that, you know, that's one thing that that makes it so uh, it's it's certainly, I would certainly say if it comes to a situation where the major stakeholders show commitment uh, and are willing to sit at the table and are willing to to sit down and willing to share the power at, at a certain level, uh, and not hide behind or use a wall, of the blue, what we call the blue wall, for sometimes for police or uh, in that situation. But I think that that's a, that's a factor that helps move people uh, in that positive way. I'll certainly say all, It's been in the news so much; it creates more leverage for community to to negotiate and to demand more. And I think it forces those empowered. To, to listen more and to actually agree to more. And that, I think that's a good thing for society.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things that's interesting here is that in order to be a good mediator, you have to be that neutral third party. And now with some of these situations that are very emotionally charged, how are you able to, number one, maintain that neutrality and number two, convince the parties that you are in fact neutral through the process?
1: Yeah, uh... And sometimes I like to use the word being impartial and being fair and being, un, you know, unbiased in, in a certain way, because neutral doesn't mean you don't have an opinion, uh, but you're, you want to be seen with credibility by both parties. And, and as, as you know, Kwame, being a mediator, if parties are opposed to each other, it's really helpful to have somebody there who doesn't have the responsibility of advocating for that side, that you're there to to help move those parties forward. I think there's sometimes, and you may have seen it, there's a magic that can happen, but because you don't have that responsibility, uh, you're there to help them get towards that better better place. And, and um, for at least for many of the CRS mediators, for many people, it's often because they have a positive reputation uh, with the parties, both sides in, in these in the situations I'm talking about, um, where it could be a governmental entity and a civil rights entity, they may not trust each other, but if they trust you, if you can establish that trust because you've worked in similar situations or you and you've known the parties, you you have a track record with them uh, that real, that really helps establish, that mediator role, that impartial role that you 're there to help them, and, and you know I know you have a lot of folks who who are business negotiators um, or, or or work in teams. we know that there 's a benefit to having a facilitator in the room when there 's differences in what the strategy should be of the team or when they need to get to an agreement um, that 's the benefit of a third party more, more more generally speaking
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense and with this question, this is a little bit off of of what you've done in the past. I want to get your thoughts on this idea. Um, This is something that I've been thinking about recently, as I've recognized, uh, especially in in Congress, there's a lot of partisanship, more so than than ever before. And every year, it gets a little bit worse. Um, And one of the things that we've noticed in studies of negotiation is that the more public the negotiation, the more uh, positional the negotiators become, right? And um, I think about it in litigation, a lot of times the reason why we're here is because they can't settle because they hate each other, right? They can't talk to each other. So, hey, maybe we can throw a mediator in there to try to get things done. And then the settlement negotiations, they are made private because again, it makes people more likely to come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I bring this up is I I think about it on the political level, Um, what value do you think there could be in potentially a, a federal department of dispute resolution where let's say the Democrats and Republicans cannot come together on a critical issue? Um, and they're afraid to compromise in public. And so then they come together and there's a team of government sanctioned mediators that can mm-hmm. help them broker a, deer, a deal. What, what do you think about that?
1: Uh, I think that's terrific, right? I'm not going to argue with that Kwame <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a mediator, <laughs> as a mediator uh, there are, there are and, and to be clear, as a person who was a federal mediator, uh, there are places that do it right now. There's the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service, uh, which um, FMCS, which has been doing labor management mediations um, and also does things uh, uh, there as well. And so there are folks within the government. Now, it's a different story as to, between congressional, uh, congressional members as, 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 as well. Uh, I remember in 2018, Susan Collins, uh, who who's the Republican uh, senator from Maine, tried to basically play that role because again, she's one of these old New England Republicans, right? Um, and so for the to prevent a government shutdown, she actually used a talking stick. I don't know if you remember this, yeah. where, where she had a bunch of Sanders and they were, the only person who could talk was the person who had this, at this stick. Um, it, it did get thrown at one point and, and broke like a glass <laughs> element. But she played that role at, at a certain level. And she, she said my role was as a, a mediator. So why wouldn't it be helpful? We know it's so hard and, and you, you, you get at it these congressional members, if you're a Republican, your competition is not the Democrat often. It's often the more extreme right candidate that comes forward. The same is true for a lot of these districts because they've been gerrymandered. Uh, so their audience is often, they, they spend more time talking to the the cable news networks than they will with the, the their, their colleagues on the other side because that's who they're going to. So there are a lot of pressures that prevent them uh, from coming to to an agreement. So t- anything we can do to have a third party uh, there, I think is a good idea.
0: Okay, good. I, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the next push we can make. But I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to walk us through this. This is really fascinating. And again, like I said, even for me, somebody who's in the field, um, I I did not realize the extent to which mediation has been shaping our community in in deeply meaningful ways. And before we go, I want to get an idea from you on what your perspective is on the future of mediation when it comes to resolving these conflicts. What is the next step? How can we take things to the next level and make things better? That's
1: a... I think an important question to to end upon here. We see the polarization in this country. Uh, We have this election that's gonna happen in six days. Uh, As a country, I think we need to do more healing. Uh, We need to do more reconciliation. We need to figure out a way forward. And I think that's where mediators are gonna play a a hugely important role uh, after the election. Uh, to, how, how do we work out uh, issues uh, with many things, right? Not just uh, law law enforcement and and community, uh, but there are many issues. Affirmative affirmative action. Uh, there are issues of how, how do we how do we create our budgets, even right? Uh, uh, if there's going to be this partisan uh, d- divide that 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 exists here, how do we deal with the recognition of all the all the past wrongs that we've had. I think that's where a place for restorative justice, uh, for example, where mediators often play a role. So I, I, I'm hopeful for, and this is true both for the community relations service, but this is for mediators more generally. Uh, there are wonderful community mediation groups that, that, that play a role. Many cities have centers that do community mediation uh, as well. And I think that's the important role as to how to help create a more constructive and positive dialogue Amongst people who may disagree, how do we help train people to have dialogues with people that disagree with them, and yet maintain our moral values? And and yet, and and how do we hold another person's belief uh, that may be very contrary to ours, without judging them? And and how do we just, how can we increase the understanding even? I, I think it's going to be an important role going forward.
0: I agree. Well, thank you so so much for this. And before you go, one last thing: make sure you uh, remind the listeners about uh, the book and where to get it. Uh, America's Peacemakers: uh, The Community
1: Relations Service and, and Civil Rights. And, and to, I want to say one thing: it's the original book was written by Bertram Levine, who had, was a longtime CRS uh, director, uh, CRS associate director. And he passed away a few years ago. I spoke with his children and they gave me the permission to write a second edition to cover the last 25 years. So I'm very appreciative uh, to the, the, the Levine family. Uh, go to the University of Missouri Press uh, to purchase uh, to purchase it. And by the way, if you write Peace 40, when you, when, you, um, uh, when you check the book out, when you, when you, when you uh, go to that website, you'll get 40% discount. So piece, P-A-C-E 40 to get a 40% discount on the book.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate it. And um, we're looking forward to having you on the next time, Grand.
1: Thank you very much, Kwame. It was, it was a real pleasure and privilege to, to be with you here today.